TGIM, Timari. This is episode 306. Quitting drinking is not the end of your life. It's just the beginning. Awakening is a shift in consciousness in which thinking and awareness separate. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Robin. She took her last drink on June 30th, 2020, and she is from Columbia, South Carolina. And team, before I get started, I want to let you know that this is the last call to sign up for our Restore course launching January 1st. We're only a couple of days away from the new year, and if you're looking for support during your decision to pursue an alcohol-free journey, this is for you. Registration and details are live at www.recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore. During this course, you will connect with others across the globe, learn tools and techniques to help with life stressors and more. I'm going to be teaching one of the sessions for the course, and I can't wait to see some of you there. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. We've arrived. Here it is the last Monday of the year. How are you doing? How's your heart? I stumbled upon this quote a few days ago and it reads, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. This quote is by Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. I think I said that right. Zig Ziglar. Love the alliteration there. (laughs) Anyway, as we move through the end of this year that was full of growing pains, my wish is that you all remember that this journey isn't about arriving. It's about becoming. We often tell members in our online groups that although milestones have a place and stacking days sober matters, it's not that which determines us. How much we're willing to learn, how much we're willing to stumble and get back up, to acknowledge our mistakes, how much we're willing to forgive and stay curious, how much we're willing to keep trying, that's it. That's what we should never forget to celebrate. And that's something that we cannot take for granted. I hit my two-year alcohol-free mark 10 days ago. And while I love a good fiesta and a pint of ice cream to celebrate, I've realized that the excitement about hitting certain dates and goals dissipates. Almost like when you get super excited about your latest impulsive Amazon purchase, only to realize that the hit of dopamine is more often than not fleeting. So what is it that stays? What is underneath the thrill? Something perhaps that doesn't feel as exhilarating, but holy buckets, is it worth it? What's left is you and what you're becoming. Your hard work, your new habits, your new skin after shedding. Even if you stumble, nobody can take that away from you. With every attempt comes a new version of you. Each version a braver, softer one. I took a few moments to reflect on who I became this year, and here are some things that came up for me. This year, I became courageous. Courageous enough to take over the podcast. Courageous enough to confront some parts of my life that I was avoiding. Courageous enough to ask for help. This year, I became lighter. I let go of a firm grasp that I had around routines and schedules. I mean, I didn't really have a choice, thanks to COVID, but I still became lighter. This year, I became a student. I was a beginner at so many things. First pandemic, First time recording a show, first time spending so much time at home with my family, first time being sober during an election. It's when we are beginners that we need to know how to be led. It's when we are beginners that we need to know how to stay curious and open. This year, I became less worried about how productive I was and more intentional about how present I was. I became aware that sometimes laying on the couch with my dog snuggled up closely to me isn't doing nothing, but it's actually doing everything. This year, I became a better listener. I sure tried. You can ask my kids and husband about that one. This year, I became a professional at being silly. I danced in the kitchen more than ever. I took selfies with my daughter that included a double chin, and I burped after drinking too much sparkling water. Kate, I'm looking at you. I became better at making my already heavy load lighter. This year, I became forgiving of others, but more importantly, of myself. Who did you become this year? All right, 
Eso es todo for today. And before we hear from Robin, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe Ari almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community. People all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. Robin, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy that we're doing this. So thanks again. And let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Robin? Uh, my last drink was J uh, June 30th, 2020. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. It's day 63 and um, this time around has been going really, really well. So I'm really, really happy about that. Congrats on 63 days. That's a big deal. Can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? I currently live in Columbia, South Carolina, but I was born and raised in Maine. I moved here when I was about 17, uh, going into my senior year of high school. But I've been here in Columbia for about 20 years now. I don't, I'm not married, but I have a partner I've been with for about 10, 10 between 10 and 11 years. And he's got two kids. Uh, he has a boy that's about to turn 20 and a daughter that's about to be 12, which they don't live with us, but we do get to see them. Um, hobbies, I'm still trying to figure out what I like to do. Um, I've recently started doing jigsaw puzzles, and I've, I've heard from several people in the community that uh, do enjoy doing those. And actually, I've found I didn't even realize that my partner enjoyed them as well. So um, we've been having fun with that the last month or two. And other than that, I like to read. I do enjoy journaling. I'm just starting to get into meditating and really finding the benefits in that. But yeah, other things, you know, there's not a lot we can do right now. Normally, I like to go on vacations to the mountains, but we haven't traveled, obviously, because of what's going on. So I'm kind of missing that, but we'll get back to it eventually, I'm sure. Yeah, right now, a lot of what we normally used to do or look forward to is on hi hiatus. So I'm really glad that you are finding other little pleasures. Honestly, I love puzzles so much. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic started, Amazon was completely out. Target was completely out. I was like, no, now everybody wants to puzzle. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I started, I actually tried a subscription thing, but it took so long to get here. I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to buy my own puzzles. And now I have a stockpile of them. So I probably should find some people that want to do a trade or something. I don't know. <laughs> You and I are going to have to connect later for a trade because I, I put them right back in the box when I'm done yep. and that's it. So you and I can connect on doing a trade because they just stack up there. So I'm glad you're doing that, Robin. And I'm really glad to hear that your partner enjoys it too. It's just for me something that just really grounds me and helps me just be in the moment. And I think mm -hmm. that's what we learn to slowly enjoy on this journey. So thanks for sharing and mm -hmm. give listeners some background on your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol was no longer serving your goals? And what got you on this journey? Yes, I, I started drinking shortly after I moved down here. Um, I want to say it was about my senior year of high school. I'd always been very shy growing up. And, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of friends in school where I was. 
And when I moved here, moved to South Carolina, it was like a new start and made a lot of new friends. And, you know, a lot of those friends like to drink and, and other things. So, of course, you know, I wanted to participate. And then I discovered that it really helped me helped me open up and have more fun and get to know people and, you know, all those things that we think are so great when we're teenagers. Hey, it's the magic elixir. Mm -hmm. You know, now I can socialize and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I wasn't really a heavy drinker. It was just a kind of a, you know, a weekend here and there, nothing crazy. And I didn't really, didn't really get heavy into my drinking until later in my 20s after I got married really young for really silly decisions, silly reasons. And that didn't last very long. It was very abusive. And, you know, and he was an alcoholic. So it kind of made me avoid drinking a whole lot. When that relationship ended, I went to another one, which was much more normal, normal drinking, you know, partying with friends on the weekends, but being responsible for the most part. It wasn't until we split up and I actually moved to where I live now that we had been together for a long time. And I didn't know anybody here. So I ended up making friends with bartenders and people that go to bars and spent a lot of time in bars because I was really lonely at home. You know, all this stuff in hindsight, I kind of recognized. But at the time, it was just I, it felt like the normal thing to do. And the industry I worked in, everybody kind of drank. I, I worked in the cable TV industry and all of my friends there, everybody I worked with, everybody drank. So it was just kind of a normal thing. It wasn't until I'd gotten into um, another relationship after a couple years of being single that I ended up my drinking really ramped up because he was an alcoholic. And I, I guess by all intents and purposes, so was I. So our relationship kind of surrounded uh, was surrounded with toxic and addictive behaviors. So I didn't really start questioning things. You know, there was always a bad night here and there. And you're like, oh, maybe I should cut back. But it, it never I never really saw it as a problem until our relationship started getting really rocky. We had split up and it was one time I actually made an attempt to go to AA and I went to the place where they were supposed to have a meeting and couldn't find my way in and decided that, ah, well, I didn't really want to do it anyway, so I don't really have a problem. And so I just kept on, kept on going, but it was kind of an ebb and flow thing most of my life. And only up until I think in 2011, I got a got a DUI. That relationship had ended. My drinking kind of ramped up again because, you know, another life change. The only thing that was always there for me was booze and bar friends. So I ended up getting a DUI, which fortunately I did. It didn't stick, but I did quit for a while. And that, at that point I was in the current relationship I'm in and he's a normal drinker and has always kind of tried to support me in, when, in my endeavors of quitting. And it's, you know, after the DUI, I kind of slowed it back down for several years. It wasn't until I discovered that I liked wine that it became an actual problem for me, which seems crazy considering how much I partied over all those years. But it wasn't until wine, sitting, drinking wine at home, and it became an everyday thing. And I finally just got tired of feeling like crap all the time. So that's when I started trying to figure out what was going on. But it wasn't really until after my mom passed away that I did anything about it. And it was really hard to do. That was a, that was a tough process. She died in the beginning of 2017. And it was kind of abrupt. Your mom, which I'm sorry to hear, died very abruptly 2017. Yeah, I need to kind of um, back that up. Yeah, because I had been worried about my drinking. But when, when she got, she got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Um, and she'd only been sick for about a month after she had quit smoking. She ended up getting admitted to the hospital shortly before Christmas in 2016, took them a week to diagnose her, and the prognosis wasn't very good, but she's, she was very positive. But yeah, within a week of the diagnosis, she passed away because it had spread to her brain, and it was, it was very traumatic for me. It was, it was very traumatic for my stepfather, who's, they were a very codependent couple, I guess is the best way to put it, even though it sounds kind of negative, but he had just recently recovered from testicular, I'm sorry, prostate cancer. So he had already been through a bunch of treatments for cancer, still hadn't gotten his health back to 100%. And then this happened. So it just kind of, kind of knocked the wind out of his sails. And he was very dependent on my mom. So her, her passing away just kind of left me in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. And he lived, 
Yeah, he lived over an hour away. So I was spending a lot of time going back and forth, trying to get her affairs organized. Thank goodness my mom was very organized and I was able to figure out all their finances really quickly because he didn't deal with any of that. She did. So I had to find everything that, you know, everything having to do with basically everything in their life, take care of all of that stuff. And because he lived far away, I knew and they live, uh, you know, out in the country, not a lot of people close. And I knew I couldn't leave him there. So I started to look for look for a place for him to live up here. And ironically, and I don't know how it happened, I consider it divine intervention or my mom trying to help me out. We found a house right down the street from my house. Oh, like, that's a- amazing. I, I like calling those winks of the yeah. universe or winks, winks of God, whatever you want to call them, divine intervention, like you said. But that that Absolutely. was definitely not not a coincidence. When this happened, did you notice your drinking ramping up? You know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really notice it change much. I just knew that, you know, any attempts at trying to slow it down or take days off, it was virtually impossible. Just I had so much I had to do to prep the, you know, once I found the house, well, actually, before I even found the house, my grandmother had passed away and they lived on the same property. My mom had never cleaned out her house, my grandmother's house. So I had to be responsible for clearing out her house plus my mom's house once once we did sell the property. So I was spending a lot of time, me and God bless my partner, he he and I both spent a lot of time going back and forth, trying to get everything moved out of the houses, sell the houses. So I didn't really have a lot of time to think about, you know, me wanting to quit drinking. I just, it was just automatic. I was on autopilot. It was the only thing I think that got me through. And I, I hate putting it like that, but, in, you know, I, looking back on it, I know there's no way I could have stopped because I was just running on sheer will. And looking back on it, it sounds like, although we all know it's a progression and at some point we have to make this choice at that moment. I know you said, I hate to say it like that, but it was, it was a coping mechanism that was actually helping you to survive, helping you to get through a really tough time. And we learn new coping mechanisms, but what what we always say, you know, it was working at the time. It wasn't ideal, but it was what was getting you through this really tough stage where you just had to kind of level up and do what you got to do in order to help and in order to process. I can imagine, I don't know if you were even able to process your sadness because you just had to be in charge so quickly. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I'm still, I still, I'm still processing it quite frankly. Um, but, and, and it's tough too, because I'm, I'm kind of the sole support for my stepdad, his, his main emotional support. So I call him every day, at least once a day. And he's, you know, it's been three going on four years. He still struggles with it quite a bit, but he's mostly independent. And, you know, I do what I can to help him out and support him the best I can. But it gets hard sometimes because he's mourning his wife. And, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel like I like sharing how much I miss my mom too. Sometimes we talk about it, but for the most part, we try not to, you know, we try to move forward, but it was really hard for a while to to even process what had happened. And I know that first year was quite a blur, but, you know, probably I think she died in January of 2017, about September of 2017 was when I finally, finally went to Dr. Google to uh, try mm-hmm. to figure out what I could do about my drinking. It was just too much. It was, I was constantly having heartburn, um, chest pains. My hangovers were absolutely insane. I knew that it was the alcohol, but I wanted to deny it, of course. And I was, you know, my biggest fear was the only thing that's out there is AA. And I, I really didn't want to go there. So I went to Google and discovered uh, hip sobriety is what I what I stumbled upon. And it was the first time that I was ever just kind of reading her Holly's blog. And this was it was all older material. It's the first time that I read it as this is, you know, quitting drinking is not the end of your life. It's just the beginning. And just reading some of the stuff that she had to say, she had such a, she has such a way with words that it was the first time I felt hopeful. Like I could put this down and actually feel better for a change. Who, who, you know, who knew that alcohol wasn't helping me in any way. So (laughs) through that, I discovered Annie Grace and this naked mind and um, started with the alcohol experiment and stuff like that. 
and just started reading the Quitlet. And I definitely, it definitely ruined alcohol for me, even though that's not when I actually quit the first time. I was doing pretty good at just kind of figuring out how to moderate or, you know, slow down at the very least. And then I had another blow at the end of the year when I lost, lost my dog. She passed away suddenly. So it was just, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the drinking ramped back up, but took me another six months to finally rein it in. It's so interesting to see like what happens because I actually just interviewed someone this morning who said my journey, I've only been sober. I don't like it when people say I've only been sober. I've only been sober for X amount of time, but this is how long my journey has been. So I I would even dare to say your journey started when you even took yourself to that AA meeting that you never went, you know, all of these moments (laughs) of self-awareness, all of these like little uh, blips of like awakeness coming mm-hmm. to us and just like you planting the seeds with these authors and these people who are reframing your thinking around alcohol use like that's also a part of your journey it's a it's a long trajectory and it's not just about how many days we have away from our last drink but I think all of this counts and I like highlighting that because it sounds like you already you had uh, already ruined drinking for yourself long before June 30th this year, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it had been, you know, like I said, it, it kind of came in waves over all those years. I kind of kind of condensed it the best I could. But yeah, because it, it didn't really dawn on me how terrible it was until just the last few years. I think that's just when it started affecting me more. And I didn't bounce back as quickly as is as I used to and started noticing like the mental decline that comes with the blackouts just repeatedly, you know, your brain just doesn't work as well after you pickle it every day without fail, not even just not even thinking about it. So yeah, it definitely got ruined that day I went to Dr. Google. I can tell you, I can almost pinpoint the day, but I do know it was September, 2017. And I do refer to that as when my journey started because that is when my eyes opened to there is a better life on the other side. And I know I knew it was going to be hard, but um, it's been worth it. I, and, you know, I do consider my official quit date as uh, July 1st, 2018. Um, that was the first time I'd ever made it 30 days. I did the uh, 30 day alcohol experiment from Annie Grace and made it 30 days. And then, you know, it was it was touch and go sporadic. No, never went back to drinking the way that I used to. But it was just hard for me to to keep it together longer than 30 days. I did that multiple times. I did sober October that year. And then I did dry January. And it wasn't until last August that I actually got a good bit of traction um, August until about February of this year. And that's when I just kind of went off. I got I got what I consider recovery fatigue. After about six months, I was just I was just tired. I was just tired of of fighting it and finally was like tried to give myself permission to I'm going to take a break from recovery. Well, we a lot of us know how that ends up. Never, never the way we plan. So, yeah. And then the pandemic kind of showed up and that was just an excuse for me to say, say, fuck it. But, um, you know, it wasn't <laughs> wasn't until actually the the ditch, the first ditch, the booze course that we had in Cafe RE. I met an amazing group of people through that group. And I highly recommend anybody that hasn't taken the course, try it out because I still talk to that group every single day. They have been instrumental to me, even though we started in May and I didn't quit until July. They had, they had my back the whole entire time. And that's something that I have learned to be very important. Um, Something that I was very scared to do is to reach out when I needed help and connection you know we we all hear that that saying about connection but it is absolutely true and that is the difference all the difference it's made that's why the 63 days i feel stronger now than i did through six entire months that i did last year so uh i love hearing this and honestly i i want to talk about a little bit more about what you said you know you even say i count my start date July 1st, 2018. And I really want to applaud you for that because it's like, how ludicrous is the thought of I'm going to 
sign up for a marathon today and then run it tomorrow. Um, right. <laughs> everyone, everyone's journey is different that we do have. And I know a handful of my friends on this journey, they have one date and they've never looked back, but just coming from a place of someone who, like for me, my story is very similar to you where it took some time and I still consider that part of my journey. It took some time and it's important to talk about how normal this is because those times, as if already alcohol isn't considered a moral failing, which is a total <laughs> narrative that we have to detach from, then put on top that like recovery is also not perfect. And we have these expectations of like, once I make the decision or once I one the next month I'll do it and nobody nobody likes right. the feeling of consistently letting yourself down but for some of us it has to be that way for a little bit and it sounds like you just kept kept trying and you had this I don't know I want to ask like did you have did you notice that your like grace towards yourself and your confidence kept going on a positive note even though you still had to go out and go back to drinking for moments of time. Like how was your emotional state during these chunks of time? And then life happens. And for some of us, that means we have to have time back with alcohol. So how, how have you navigated all of that through the last couple of years? You know, a lot of times, a lot of times I didn't, I didn't beat myself up. Maybe the first couple of times I did, especially if it was something negative that pushed me to feel like I needed the drink. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it was, I was having difficulty separating, um, alcohol from social situations. Mm -hmm. So typically, even though, you know, I would make 30 day consecutive stretches, I never went back to drinking every day at home like I had before. It would be more or less a social situation or on the weekend. So I was still, I don't know, mostly sober. I don't really know how to describe it, but those, you know, it got to where even just doing it on the weekend, just knowing I physically felt bad, it was like, all right, well, let me try it again. And But I, I tried not to beat myself up too much. It, it took a while for that to stop. And the more the more people that I've met along this journey, the more the more um, I've watched other people or learned from other people. It's e it's been become easier for me to be easier on myself. I've learned a lot about just showing yourself grace. I know we we all say that a lot, but it's it's very true. And sometimes it's hard to do, but I think it's really important. And I, I do find that my confidence does increase each time that I make the attempt to quit, because, you know, for me, it's just, if I can get through the first two weeks, then it's a lot smoother after that. Um, as long as I don't beat myself up for where I was, it, it, there's no point in doing that. And it has taken time for me to realize that. But um, yeah, I mean, if I were to drink again tomorrow, I'd try to pick myself right back up and say that it's okay. You know, you, this is all part of it. You got to accept the good days with the bad days. And some days are just harder than others. And all we can do is just keep trying. Yes. Keep coming back and keep believing that you're, like you said, when you, when you saw through Holly and early stages of you Googling sobriety, like keep coming back to the belief system that is so real that says life is so much better and it's available to everyone who attempts sobriety. So believing that we're worth it. And, and yeah, I mean, it, there's so much learning with every setback and that's also oh what, goodness. what I wanted to share and like what kept me coming back. Like I knew a lot of the times, just like you said, like, Oh, it's because I feel uncomfortable in the social setting. And sometimes I was even going through the motions of drinking, but at least I was having this dialogue of like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what I'm trying to mask. And I know like, it's weird. Like you just learn to navigate these inner dialogues differently and you just get to know yourself better each time. And I think that is part of this, the goal of this journey is to also get to know yourself better because a lot of the times when we drink, we were just kind of on autopilot. And I feel like this, as many setbacks as people may have, it is kind of like a self-discovery journey in itself. So that's, that's a good thing. Yes, it is. I'm, I made a joke with, um, with my counselor, 
um, who I've been seeing for quite a few years. Ironically enough, I started seeing him for something else and it just so happened he specialized in addiction. And it's funny, we didn't even mess with my addiction until I said, okay, I want to quit drinking. But anyways, I made a joke with him one day. I am the most self-aware alcoholic that you've ever met because I just kept drinking, but I was still learning every time I did it. Like you said, you, you just kind of, you get to know the reasons why, where, look, whereas before I had no clue. It was just what I did. It was just what, what I did at the end of the day. I mean, some days I'd, there was nothing that pushed me to drinking and I'm still trying to uncover all of my, all of my whys and all of what, what drove me to find initially find the comfort that I did. And I think there's a lot of trauma. Obviously I've been in a couple abusive relationships. So I, uh, of course, I'm sure those contributed to it, but I'm, I'm keep going back to what happened before, even before that. So yeah, we're definitely, I'm still a work in progress. And I think everybody in recovery is of course, but it gets easier once you, once you get used to kind of learning about yourself, you can kind of learn what, what you need to focus on more, what your strong suits are, what, what needs a little bit more work. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely a work in progress, but I'm becoming more self-aware. Now I'm doing it without the alcohol. What do you do when you get a craving, Robin? I reach out. I reach out to somebody in, in my group or um, a lot of times I'll go to my partner because he knows that he knows when I'm 100 percent in in recovery, not wanting to drink. He knows how to kind of talk me out of it. He helps me with the rational, logical side of things. He's like, do you really want want to drink? What What's bothering you? What is making you feel like you need a drink? He's always supportive, regardless of which direction I'm going, whether I'm drinking or not drinking. He just asked me, OK, so are we we going 100 percent this time? Yes, we're going 100 percent. OK, I just need to know how to how to support you. So, which is very helpful having him as the front lines. But if he's not around, then yeah, I reach out to Cafe RE or my friends in my smaller groups. Just, I've just learned that you've got to reach out to somebody because even if you feel embarrassed or ashamed, you know, a lot of times we're all in recovery. So we all understand. And sometimes just getting it out is all it takes to get rid of the craving. But I'm, I'm very grateful. I haven't had any cravings since probably a month and a half. So I'm really happy about that. But yeah, connection is, is the biggest thing that I can push on this journey. Yes, it's, it sounds great that you find you found your stride. And it sounds so nice to have some support at home. Let's, I mean, communicating efficiently is I think, such a building block in relationships. And the fact that you guys can have those open and direct conversations whenever you're having a hard day. I mean, that has to be so helpful. And then with other family members and friends outside of recovery, have you been able to talk openly about this? Or how has this decision kind of affected other relationships and just your day to day outside of our recovery bubble? Because often we just live in this little recovery yeah. <laughs> bubble. <laughs> well, you know, my my boss at work, he's he's in recovery. Also, I think he just passed three and a half years. So I'm very open with him about it. And he's very proud of me. You know, even when I stumble, he, he's like, it's OK, you can get back to it. You know how to do it. Um, but, yeah, he's very supportive. And of course, I'm very supportive of him. He went into recovery a little bit a couple months before I decided going down the path. So maybe maybe that kind of gave me the, the push to do something. But my best friend, she still drinks, but she is very supportive of my decision not to. And whenever we get together, you know, she she'll tell me, oh, I don't have to drink. I tell her it's fine if you want to, because once I make that decision not to do it, just being in the room with it isn't going to change that. So I try to let everybody know that, you know, I don't care if you want to drink. That's your choice. But I'm fine with my sparkling water or whatever I'm, I might be drinking. So um, but yeah, everybody's been pretty supportive of me. And I haven't, you know, I burned all the ships last year. So a lot of people don't know that I started back and then quit again. And I haven't really decided if I'm, if I'm going to bother sharing that. It, you know, some people, people closer to me, maybe. But I just haven't had a lot of the social activities, which in a way, I guess, is kind of helps that I haven't been around the alcohol that much. But but yeah, most people are very supportive. And it's so funny how you think everybody's going to care more than they actually do. Yeah, usually people don't even notice or are too we all have a lot going on we all have other things that we're that we're concerned about but I'm really glad you've you have support and you are okay with 
talking about it if you do go somewhere just to hold yourself accountable because it, it does matter once you've once you've put yourself out there and you say I'm not drinking today and like you said there's people in the room and people that know it's much harder to to just get away with it so that's that's a strong practice just telling someone having someone backing your decision and having someone to fall back fall back on so that's definitely great. sorry I've definitely learned that along the way is uh you know if you don't tell somebody they're not going to know and you know if you're if you're any bit weak in your sobriety you're going to succumb to their offer for something to drink so yeah I've also found that I, as long as I have something in my hand nobody nobody offers me anything have you been able to identify any triggers that just make you want to drink more you know it's it's kind of odd but some of the triggers I have are uh, good things, like if I'm having a good day mm -hmm. or uh, yard work is a trigger for me. So I keep some uh, N.A. beers on hand just for that. But it's just um, doing any outside activities I have found to be triggering. So I, I've been working through that, like going to the pool or cutting the grass and different things like that, but nothing like emotionally, you know, I've had some, some bad emotional days. And the last thing I think about is drinking, which is so funny because I know that's the opposite of the way I used to be when I was younger, I would drink to escape the bad emotions, but now that's the last thing I think of. So I think that's some of the, um, you know, the self-discovery that we have is that, you know, I, I, I cope better with negative things. I like hearing I, that. It's a good progress it's a good metric for progress. That's like very, it's not tangible at all, but it seems like you've like, you're not scared of your feelings anymore. And a lot of the times right. we just, we don't, we don't want to feel negative feelings. We don't know how to deal with them. We don't know how to cope. And I feel like, I like that saying that says you've survived every one of your bad days. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, that you can, that it'll pass, you know, either way, challenges aren't going to go anywhere. They're going to continue to show up in life, but you are just okay with staying which is huge so I like this and I do want to touch on the fact that you mentioned that sometimes happy things because I do think a lot of the times uh, society and the way that we've been conditioned to is we we drink to celebrate and we have yes. to relearn how to celebrate or relearn how to enjoy a warm summer day for me summer was such a huge trigger when I first <laughs> quit because just the weather and wanting something refreshing and just yeah like you said ordinary things that just I felt like I needed to sprinkle a little fun in there. And it's just <laughs> <laughs> so interesting to see how that has shifted. But it's really neat to find new ways of celebrating and realizing that for me, I missed out on a lot of the celebration because I was too concerned on what my next dr drink was even going to be. So I, I feel like my intention was never even met in the first place. <laughs> Oh, no, I totally relate to that. Yeah, I would. Uh, hey, what are we celebrating? This is great. And all right. All right. I need to have another drink. And the next thing you know, I black out. I'm not even part of the celebration. And then I wake up the next day wondering what the hell did I do? I hope I didn't ruin the celebration. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I completely understand that and relate to that a lot. Do you have anything as part as as part of your daily routine or any tools that you use daily that you feel just help center you and just l make you feel better and feel like you are set up for success for the day? I'll tell you one that I've had, uh, you know, a bulk of my life actually is journaling. I journaled all through my teen years um, and I picked it back up whenever I first started this journey. And I've discovered, it's kind of funny, I've discovered a trend with it. Whenever I stop journaling, I can guarantee within a week, I'm going to start drinking again. Mm. So I find it and it's, um, it took me a little while to, to recognize the pattern. It was like, you know, I just, oh, I don't feel like writing today. Oh, I don't. And if it goes more than a couple of days, then we have a problem. So even if I don't have anything great to say in my journal, even if it's just, hey, it's Tuesday and I had, you know, spaghetti for dinner. If that's all I write, that's good enough. So journaling has been very important to me. And I, I push that on anyone who will listen <laughs> just because of how much it has helped me. So journaling is a big thing. I usually do it in the morning and I try to make a point to include some things that I'm grateful for, big, small, in between, just, just having some gratitude really helps. And I've recently started 
consistently. Now I've been trying meditation off and on and I'll make it a couple of days and then quit, but I'm trying to get consistent and I think I'm on day five in a row. So that's kind of impressive for me and I'm already noticing the benefits. So I'm going to try to keep that going as long as I can as well. But yeah, journaling is key for me. Yeah. I think I've I think I've already said this on another episode, but our also Cafe Ari member friend and also has her own podcast, Trisha Lewis from Recovery Happy Hour, always says journaling should be prescribed. She's like, I don't I can't tell you how beneficial it is. And I just always think of her when someone mentions journaling because it does help. And I think the fact that you were able to notice a trend is extremely helpful because data is data. And for some people, maybe it's when for me, when I skip my exercise for a few days, I know my depression kicks in. And it's like, part of going back to what we're talking about self discovery and knowing yourself and making sure that you are hitting those check boxes of what you know, works for you. I love that you incorporate gratitude. And good job on the meditating. I do like telling people who are early in sobriety, like try one or two things. Don't try to do 10 new things because then it gets too overwhelming. And now that you, the journaling comes naturally to you and doing some gratitude. Now you can try getting the meditation in and it just, you don't have to get it all at the same time. No, no, you definitely don't. And, and that's something, uh, you know, I do like reading the quit lit or various different varieties of memoirs and self-help, but I've learned that I burn out on those. So what I, I love reading. So what I try to do is alternate a quitlet with some trashy fiction and then I'll go back to a quitlet. <laughs> so that's another thing that I've learned, too, is is to avoid the burnout. I have to be very careful because that's something I learned last February is I, I can get burnout if I'm not not careful with what I'm doing. But I do know that journaling is the most important. If I catch myself, if I miss one day, you better be sure I'm writing the next day. Yeah. And I like that you also mentioned earlier on the episode about recovery fatigue, because it is a thing. And I've talked to it with a few people about how, oh, maybe I just need to take a break from podcasts or quit lit. And it is very important to find this balance that you mentioned, because we do need it. Um, Whatever works for you, I do think that it is essential to have a few tools that work for you to stay the course. But I think what also happens is we learn more and more and more. Like initially, if you're a learner and you just want to read all the books and listen to all the podcasts, it's almost like a phase. And then Mm -hmm. as you wean some of the stuff out and keep some things, I think you also start realizing what you even missed about your life. I remember being like, oh, I haven't listened to music in a while. And I loved music and I love music, but I've been so focused on playing a podcast on every single drive and, and just making sure that I'm completely absorbing everything that I can. There got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to turn the radio on for a little bit and dance. And I forgot how good that felt because we were, you're healing. And as you're healing, you can go back to the things that you used to enjoy as well, or find new things that you enjoy now. That's very true. Yeah, I, I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts. And when I discovered Recovery Elevator, and there was 200 and something episodes at the time, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go back to the beginning and start over. And I did. And I've listened to most of them. But after a while, I was like, all right, I need to change this up. So now I mix it up just like my books. I'll mix it up my recovery podcast because now I have several I listen to those. And then I'll listen to like uh, a comedian's podcast, one of my favorite comedians, you know, and then I'll go back and forth and music gets mixed in there too. But I really enjoy podcasts. I'd I'd never paid attention to podcasts until I got in a recovery. I knew they existed, but I never paid attention to them. But now I can't get enough of them. Yeah, there's so many great ones (laughs) out there. But yeah, and, and I think another piece of this conversation, another layer is like, we are so much more than our issues with alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that's another thing that starts kind of like tugging at us like, okay, well, I, I'm not just this story of these, like, I'm not just my baggage or my mistakes or my dysfunctional relationship with alcohol. I'm so much more than that. And as you, as you stay on this course longer, you start discovering all these other parts of you and I love what you do. I love that you just change it up. I think variety is the spice of life. So you're on to something, Robin. 
I think so. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to learn, you know, the bigger picture because that is, I am a data junkie. Oh my goodness. Like, like we're talking, you you mentioned, you know, data is data. I keep uh, an app on my phone that tells me every single day that I was sober or drank since July 1st, 2018, I update it every single day, good or bad. Don't care. Big picture is what's the most important. And I can tell you, I've had over 580 sober days since July 1st, 2008. And sometimes I need to look at that. Like if I'm feeling like, oh gosh, I'm not making any progress and let's look at numbers. Numbers don't lie. And I really enjoy having that to, to look at whenever I'm feeling a little rough. It's, it's nice to see, you know, I, I've come a long way. You've come such a long way and it's so great to see your journey as like we're both in the same group in Cafe RE. And I love this. We don't talk about these little reminders to be our own cheerleader enough because I I, I think I can't remember where I heard this, but someone said, when I'm having a great day, I write myself a note. And when I'm having a not so great day, I also write myself a note and then I just use them as needed. They're both very gentle, loving notes, but I like reminding myself, like, this is how you feel. This is what you can accomplish. This is what you can do. And it's such a good motivator, like you said, to look back and to have that tangible evidence of of progress and to pat ourselves on the back because you said, (laughs) yeah, we deserve it. And you said earlier, the only thing that was always there for me was booze. And I hope that in time you're able to, you've already been able to reframe it to like the only thing that has always been there for me is me. Like we are all we've got. And I I wrote that down when you said it and I crossed off booze and I just wrote me. Like we (laughs) learn to come back to ourselves and that is the neatest thing. I never, yeah, I I was always very self-loathing growing up and and it's only been since I've been on this journey that I've I've really truly embraced the good human that I am and have always been. I just, I was always too busy worrying about everybody else and how they felt and what was going on with them and what can I do for everybody else. And, you know, finally through this journey and all the, all the different facets of it, I'm finally realizing that, hey, I need to love me first. So I've been doing better with that. I can't say that I'm perfect. I don't think anyone is, but I've definitely improved knowing that I can rely on myself more than having to worry about everyone else doing things for me. It's it's made a big difference. I'm so happy to hear that, Robin. And we've reached the rapid fire round. If Uh-oh. you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I am. If you could talk to Robin on day one, and I'm going to say day one back in 2018, what would you say to her? Just keep trying. You're making the right decision. You know, try try all the different tools and just just keep going. Even if you fail, just keep going because it'll eventually it'll eventually feel good. What are you excited about right now? What possibilities in your alcohol free life? Oh goodness. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to eventually, uh, do some traveling, uh, sober traveling, which I've never done. And I would really love to meet some fellow cafe RE members one day, hopefully in the near future. Yes. I'm right there with you. I can't wait to (laughs) start booking retreats again, whenever all of this gets a little bit better for everyone. So I'm hoping I get to meet you sometime, Robin. Me too. What are some of your favorite resources on this journey? Absolutely. Uh, Cafe RE has been huge. You know, I, I was a member for, for quite a while before I started really participating. And that that is, re- I've really enjoyed being, you know, participating more in that. My journaling is my one of my favorite resources, all the quit lit and, and podcasts, other podcasts, not just Recovery Elevator, but I really enjoy podcasts, even the, the non-recovery ones. They're all great. I, I've got some great ones I listen to. There's so many great podcasts out there. <laughs> What is your favorite non-alcoholic beverage? Uh, All the sparkling water. I don't care what brand. I don't care what flavor. If it's sparkling and it's water, I want it. Perfect. What parting piece (laughs) of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? Um, Just just give it a try. Um, You'll never know how good it feels until you give it a chance and go easy on yourself. It might take a little while to get where you want to be, but it's all worth it. And before we depart, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if line. Okay. If you wanted to stock up for the quarantine, so you bought enough wine for two weeks, 
and it only lasted you four days. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Robin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you. And I'm really happy that we did this. Me too. Thank you so much. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, Team RE. That's a wrap. And before I say adios, I want to challenge you to take a few moments and to reflect on today's intro on becoming. Who are you trying to become as you are on this journey? I also wanted to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who listened to our show this year. It was a year of transition with Paul handing me off the show, and I'm grateful to each and every one of you who gave me an opportunity behind the mic. Thank you for listening, for the emails, for the messages on Instagram, for the kind reviews. You all are an important part of my journey. Mil gracias. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, embrace the journey of becoming and Happy New Year. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself.